Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. We're going to talk about the ag industry from a truly national perspective today. We're going to look out at the Eastern Corn Belt first with Ty Higgins, the spokesman for the Ohio Farm Bureau Association here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to go to Missouri. Dr. Randall Prather has been working for 33 years in swine genetically modifying them for medical research. He just got some new funding. We're going to talk about what that funding is going to do to his operation down there at the University of Missouri. And in segment three, Leah Biondo, the executive vice president for the U.S. Cattlemen Association, will join us. She's touring Texas, talking to cattle producers, going to give us an update on the drought down there, as well as a policy update from the U.S. cattlemen's perspective. And we're going to close today with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk, taking a look at these markets and specifically talking about the value of the U.S. dollar, which continues to drop today maybe putting some tailwinds behind commodity prices. But let's talk about that commodity production. First and foremost, farmers over in Ohio earlier this week had 36% of their corn harvested, about 70% of their beans. They're making good progress. Ty Higgins from Ohio Farm Bureau, how are your members feeling about harvest this year? Well, I mean, we've had a great stretch of weather here in the fall and got a lot done in a little bit of time. We're getting some rain today. I think there's kind of a sigh of relief for that. Just maybe take a deep breath and, and maybe get some rest, spend time with the family before we head back out in the field later on this week. But we had, like most other states did, a pretty wide um, uh, time frame between the first uh, plantings and, and then maybe a little bit of rain and, and the later plantings in the spring. And so we're going to see that lag here in the fall. Uh, the very first harvest that's coming in, we're hearing some pretty good numbers, uh, close to or near record numbers for soybeans, and the same goes for corn. But a lot of the farmers around the Buckeye State uh, a little bit concerned about what went into the ground later in the spring. Those numbers might not be as strong as we get into the latter part of the harvest season. So as you mentioned, we're uh, about a third of the way done for corn, of 70% done for beans. So we're getting there, uh, but I think the yield numbers on those monitors are going to start to come down as we get later into the season due to the weather that those later planted crops got earlier this spring. Well, that certainly makes sense. And as you think about that later weather here in the summer and into fall harvest, it's been dry, Ty. And there's concerns here in the Mississippi River. Are any of your members getting nervous about the Ohio River and transportation there? Haven't heard anything about the Ohio River thus far. As I mentioned, we're getting rain right now, but it's all connected, Mike. Uh, when you look at what we export out of Ohio, a lot of it goes down the Mississippi. So there is concern as we take this grain to the elevator this fall, is there going to be a place for it to go? So it is on, on the minds of farmers. Uh, they're hearing more and more as uh, the drought conditions there in the middle part of the country worsen. Uh, obviously, it's coming to the top of mind, and we'll have to see how it all shakes out in the end. But as of right now, the Ohio River is still flowing. Uh, but again, it uh, doesn't do us much good to get us halfway to the Mississippi River and down to the basin. That's a good point. you got to have the water going the whole way to get the stuff to where it needs to go. Ty, we've got midterms getting close. We've got Farm Bill 2023 coming up this next year. From a policy perspective, what issues are you hearing from Ohio members that uh, need to go to the national level? Yeah, and Farm Bill is, of course, uh, what we're talking about more than anything right now. Farm Bill talks ramped up about a month ago. We're having roundtable discussions with our members of Senate and uh, the Congress there in Washington, D.C. When you break it down to just Ohio, we have 15 million acres enrolled in risk management programs through the Farm Bill, 400,000 acres in conservation programs. Those are two very important aspects of the Farm Bill. But the other important aspect is the food part. One in eight jobs in Ohio is related to agriculture in one way, shape, or form. Agriculture in Ohio, $277 billion in economic output as an industry. When you break it down to the food aspect and that SNAP benefit, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, $351 million uh, utilized here in Ohio through SNAP to 772,000 families. So the Farm Bill is so much more than a Farm Bill. It's a food and Farm Bill. And I think that's something as we get closer to 2023 and putting that Farm Bill together is going to be really stressed by our members uh, at the county, state, and national level, just how important it is to keep that food and farm aspect together in the Farm Bill as we begin to create uh, this new piece of legislation here next year. 
Ty, anytime we're crafting legislation, anytime we're bringing folks with different perspectives together, there's going to be diversity of opinion. And Ohio Farm Bureau has a unique program that's been around for a while. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about community councils. What are they and how do they work there in Ohio? Well, it's something that is so important. Being a grassroots organization in particular, it all starts at the county level. And, you know, just like our country, our state is diversified in each part of, of uh, Ohio. So we have major crop producing uh, parts in the northwest part of the state, down more towards the hilly and, and less advantageous for crops in southeast Ohio is where we have uh, cattle producers. And then we have, uh, you know, uh, viticulture and, and fruits and vegetables in north central Ohio. So what these councils do is, is really gives uh, that part of our state a voice uh, at the state level. So it's all starting to come together now. So these councils at the county level then will take their concerns to their county annual meetings. And then those uh, particular policies and concerns move up the chain to what's happening here early December at our annual meeting here in Columbus. And then things that move out of our annual meeting will then go to the federal level uh, coming up in January in Puerto Rico at the American Farm Bureau Federation. So it's all really where it starts. Uh, right there at our community level uh, with that grassroots component of Ohio Farm Bureau and a Farm Bureau as a whole. That's how we get stuff done. We, we work on behalf of our members. Uh, they give us our marching orders and we work from there. And that's why those councils are so important. Absolutely, Ty. And when you think about those councils, bringing neighbors together into a room to talk about issues, sometimes it can help keep the temperature a little cooler and can let the, let discussion truly happen. I'm curious, one of those hot button topics we've heard about in Ohio is eminent domain, particularly in the renewable energy sector. Any, any issues developing there that uh, your members are working on or watching? Yeah, we're actually working right now on eminent domain reform. Uh, Ohio lags behind most states in protections for landowners, and we really want to level that playing field with eminent domain reform. So this would do a number of things. It would create a more direct legal route for a landowner to receive compensation when property is taken by the government without compensation. Uh, it's using a court action called inverse condemnation. So uh, it really will give the owner uh, a chance to get what not just what they deserve, uh, what their land is worth, but maybe also gives them a chance to fight back on whether that land is needed or not. So that's something we're working on. Uh, we have a piece of legislation that's working through uh, right now called House Bill 698 in Columbus, trying to get that through the finish line, uh, if not by the end of this year, hoping to get it in 2023. Something very important. Anytime the words eminent domain come up with Ohio Farm Bureau members, the ears perk up and there's a huge interest in, and landowner rights is something that uh, we are all about. And, and it really gets into that conversation with wind and solar. We have members on both sides of the fence as far as that issue goes. Our job as an organization at Ohio Farm Bureau is to make sure our members are fully educated when it comes to being introduced with a contract for solar or wind, uh, to let them know what we've seen as far as what good contracts look like, to let them know what we've seen as far as what bad contracts look like. Landowner rights is where it all falls with Ohio Farm Bureau. And so it's our job just to give all the resources possible to the landowner to, for them to make that decision moving forward. Absolutely. That's the name of the game. Folks, if you if you are in Ohio and you want to be a part of these conversations, you can visit OFBF.org. Get connected. Be a part of these discussions. Ty Higgins, spokesman for the Ohio Farm Bureau. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay tuned. We'll be talking to Dr. Randall Prather of the University of Missouri when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.
Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA. You know, the ag industry is massive and it's fascinating, and there's always something new under development inside the, the industry. We talk each month with Dr. Paul Sundberg from the Swine Health Information Center about diseases in the swine industry and how that group of experts is working to make life better for hogs here in this country. Today, we're going to talk about swine diseases as well, but we're going the other way. Our guest in this next segment is Dr. Randall Prather. He's the curator's professor and distinguished professor of reproductive biotechnology at the University of Missouri. He runs the Prather Lab that runs genetic experiments, genetic modifications on swine to improve human health and other factors. Dr. Prather, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Let's talk about the Prather Lab right up front. Doctor, what is it that you do there? What does your team work on at the University of Missouri? Well, so my interest is really just early embryo development. So oocyte maturation or egg maturation, fertilization, culture for that first week of development because there's lots of embryonic loss early in development. Well, to study that, we bring it into the lab and we do those things <clears throat> in the lab. Well, once you're able to do those things in the lab, then you can do other things like genetically modify those embryos and create genetically modified pigs. And then the applications for that are, are both biomedicine and agriculture. So we make models of uh, human diseases, human genetic diseases, and we make pigs that are uh, hopefully will answer important questions in agriculture. Let's talk about the biomedical uh, research that gets done from the genetically modified work coming out of the lab. Dr. Prather, where has this research been used? How could some of our listeners like identify some of the stuff that maybe has come from genetically modified swine? Well, I can go down the list. Um, where should I start? People get retinitis pigmentosa. We have pigs that we introduce a mutation in them so that they get retinitis pigmentosa and go blind, and then we work on treatments and cures uh, for that disease. We've made pigs that get cystic fibrosis. And I should back up. Every time we make a pig that has a genetic modification, we try to talk our collaborators out of it because it's expensive and it takes a long time. 
the only justification is this is the only place you can get the answer. So for example, with cystic fibrosis, you can take the same mutation that occurs in humans and put it in mice, and you don't get the symptoms that are associated with cystic fibrosis. However, if we take that same mutation and put it in pigs, we get all the symptoms that you have with cystic fibrosis. And so if you're going to study something like cystic fibrosis, there's no other model to study except for, well, it wouldn't be a model, kids that have cystic fibrosis. Uh, we make pigs that uh, hopefully their organs will end up in humans to uh, alleviate um, the shortage of donor organs that, that is out there right now for people that need new hearts and new kidneys. Um, it's interesting, when you look at the transplant list, there's like 100,000 people on the transplant list. The vast majority yeah. of those are waiting for kidneys. Well, there's a reason, because if you need a heart and don't get, uh, uh, don't get a new heart, you die and go off the list. If you're waiting for a new kidney, you can go on dialysis. Good point. You can stick around. And Dr. Prather, I know, or if I recall correctly, earlier this year, we actually had the implantation of a full swine heart into a human patient. Is Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, that that's right. And actually, the, the base genetic modification that um, was necessary for that was done actually here 20 years ago. We had the intellectual property on it. Um, and so it's really exciting to... It's sad that it t it's taken so long, and I should say that they've added a number of other genetic modifications on top of that base one, but um, it's, it is satisfying to see that some of these things are, are getting applied. Um, there's also been kidneys put into humans as well. Fascinating, fascinating to see agriculture and medicine coming together. And Dr. Prather, you mentioned this goes beyond just medical research. We can also, you can develop uh, genetic modifications to improve the ag industry. And I understand you've done that with regard to red meat allergies in hogs. Can you talk about that genetic modification and how it's working? Well, actually, it's the same one for xenotransplantation. So there's a molecule that sticks up on the cell surface. It's a sugar molecule. And um, we all have coursing through our veins right now antibodies that recognize that molecule. So if you take a cell, uh, cell tissue organ from a pig and put it into a primate or non-human primate, you get immediate what's called hyperacute rejection because those antibodies bind it, bind that sugar molecule, and the, within minutes the organ's tissue, whatever, is destroyed. Well, interestingly... Interest, and so when we knocked it out, knocked out the gene that puts that sugar on the cell surface, there's none of that hyperacute rejection. Well, what's interesting is people that have tick bites and, and um, develop a red meat allergy, that antibody response is actually uh, um, enhanced. And so when you eat red meat, you develop an immune response and then you... Um, have the gastrointestinal problems associated with eating red meat. Well, pigs with this same molecule or the same mutation don't have that molecule on their cell surface. And actually, it's been approved for people that have red meat allergies to be able to eat pork that has this genetic modification. So it's kind of that the is same fascinating. One. That is fascinating. Dr. Prather, is that technology out in production today? Can sufferers of red meat allergies buy genetically modified pork? So I think you can go online and you can uh, Google it. And the, the company that uh, is doing this is Revivacor. And I, I think you can get a hold of it if you have a prescription. I don't know that it's widely available yet. Okay, we'll continue to watch that. But it's fascinating to see this coming down to impact the consumer level. And Dr. Prather, the, the Prather Lab and the research you're doing at the University of Missouri has been under my radar, but it popped up because there was an announcement recently that you've got an $8 million grant to expand the National Swine Research and Resource and Research Center at MU. Talk a little bit about that grant. Where does the work go from here? What's next for the folks in your lab and at the uh, NSRRC? Yeah, so the, the National Swine Resource and Research Center is a core facility for National Institutes of Health funded investigators from around the country. And so it, it's really exciting because we get contacted by people from all over the country with their best ideas for which genetic modification they want to put in pigs to study human disease. And so um, <clears throat> one of our limitations is space. 
and uh, this new funding will allow us to, we, we have one facility that's a high biosecurity facility, and this funding will allow us to basically double the amount of space that we have for pigs in that high biosecurity facility. That's incredible. When you look at output, uh, how many more embryos, is that how you measure output? Will this allow you to, uh, to create in a year? Well, it, what it's going to be able to do is allow us to breed animals to distribute pigs. So we ship pigs all over the country. <clears throat> we ship pigs to Emory. We ship pigs to Columbia University in New York. We've even shipped pigs to Washington State. Um, we've got people all over that are requesting these animals. Uh, and so this is going to give us more pen space. That's our limitation, pig pens. Um, it's almost to the point where if we start a new project, we decide which project has to end because we don't have a place for the pigs to stand. And so this will allow us to continue to expand and meet the needs of people making requests of us. On the request front, have you noticed any change as medical technology continues to increase? Are they, is that moving back up the value chain to the requests that come in on specific uh, hogs to you? Well, so I think our most popular pig that we distribute are green pigs. So if you've been to the aquarium and you've seen jellyfish and they turn on the UV light, they'll fluoresce green. Well, we've taken the gene that makes that protein that fluoresces and put it into pigs. And people are requesting that more than anything. Um, and they want it for tracking studies. So if you're going to have a pig and you damage the retina to simulate ret retinal damage in humans and you then transfer in um, retinal stem cells or cells, cells that should be able to differentiate, say, into rods and cones, the cells in the retina. Um, so you do that transplant, and then um, based on your measurements, it looks like the pig can see again. Well, how do you know what cells facilitated that repair? Well, you pull the eye out, you turn on the UV light, the cells fluoresce. You know that the cells you put in are the ones that facilitated the repair. Fascinating. So it's not the whole pig glowing green in the UV light. It's just the cells that were stuck in there to modify well, the genetics. That's fascinating. Well, the whole pig glows. Oh, okay. So they just take the retinal, they just take the stem cells from the pig that glows and then transfer those into a pig that doesn't glow, a, a wild type pig. And gotcha. then you can tell which cells you transferred. That is fascinating. This technology is incredible to see it growth and grow and to see the intersection between ag and medicine moving forward is really exciting. Dr. Prather, thank you so much for joining us here on AOA today. Yep. Good to talk to you. And folks, stay tuned. We're going to turn our focus to another protein. That's the beef industry. When AOA returns with Leah Biondo, the executive vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Stick around for more AOA coming up next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, let's take a look at what's happening in this market trade here on this Wednesday. We see the soybean complex well supported again here today with meal backing off a bit, but bean oil, the uh, catalyst here, it appears to giving support to soybeans. Corn is just kind of mixed to firm around unchanged. Wheat markets have traded either side of unchanged as well, and corn really has too. As we've gone through the overnight into the day session Wednesday, 
Now, again, we are watching uh, quarter wheat markets just kind of drift, waiting for a clearer direction. Soybeans are adding to the gains we saw yesterday. The recent surge in U.S. soybean export shipments really caught the attention of traders, even though we are seeing the evidence that longer-term export demand might fall short of USDA's target, especially if Brazil raises a normal crop. We're seeing good prospects in Brazil so far, with harvest expected to start in December as we've had an earlier planting season, and the rains have showed up earlier as well. Now we are watching maybe a chance for some dryness to come into Brazil, soybean belt starting in November, but that's something we'll have to continue to watch. We're also continuing to watch the Ukraine situation, the grain corridor. Ukrainian authorities believe the overall export of agricultural products could reach 7.5 million metric tons in October based on the fact that shipments exceeded 3.5 million metric tons in the first half of the month. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. The VIX trading near 28 this morning. The dollar index is notably lower around 110 here this morning as well. So that's uh, another thing that we're keeping an eye on. We are expecting to see an interest rate hike from Canada here today, one from the European Central Bank tomorrow, and then one from the Federal Reserve in the U.S. coming up here next week. Livestock trade relatively mixed with hogs showing a little bit of strength. Crude oil up around $1.50 a barrel. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here for AOA Today. Our next segment, we are going to talk about the cattle industry, specifically what's happening with cattle producers around the country who are members of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Joining us for that discussion is Leah Biondo. She's an executive vice president there with the group. And Leah, I understand you're down in Texas doing a beef tour right now. Tell us, where are you and what are you seeing? We just lost Leah for a moment. We're going to get her back on sometimes. That Texas cell phone service isn't all it's cracked up to be. We'll get Leah on here in just a moment. But we do have some other news developing, percolating here in the world of agriculture. Expect to see some more headlines here over the short term. As uh, we got a report out from the World Wildlife Federation that U.S. Canadian and U.S. and Canadian farmers plowed up 1.8 million acres of grassland in 2020. The data looks like for that as more folks dig into this report, but those are some headlines coming out this morning. And it does look like we've got Leah back on the line here. Leah, where are you in Texas and how are things looking? Hey, Mike, sorry about that. I think that happened to us last time too. Uh, yeah, but we're out here. In oh no, I think we lost Leah one more time. Shoot. Well, we will get our producer working to see if we can get Leah reconnected to have something a little more stable here in the short term. But we do have some news coming out of Ohio. We talked to Ty Higgins there in the first segment, the Ohio Farm Bureau, about some of the eminent domain issues that are popping up in that state. And uh, well, they're generating some headlines. 
It was announced that a solar power project in Allen and Auglaize counties has been killed by state officials. This is through a program that Ohio has that, uh, that says the public must, the public need, a certificate of public need must be obtained from the, uh, from the state in order to get this built. And the state said, no, there has been too much pushback from local landowners. There has been too much pushback uh, and there's not much of a need in the community. So that particular project has been killed. No doubt we will continue seeing more discussion here about these issues as we go forward. Looking out, we've got some other news here. We've had the folks from RIPE to, on the program before. This is the Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment. Elisa Drews, the executive director, has been on this program. For those of you folks pushing for a $100 per acre payment for conservation from the USDA. They continue to push that, and it looks like they might be starting to raise that value here, or at least include it for animal units. Now, I do believe we've got Leah back on the line, and Leah... Tell us one final time, where are you today? <laughs> we are on our way to Victoria, Texas. I'm here with the Independent Cattlemen's Association of Texas uh, Executive Director, Cooper Little. So very exciting here to be uh, hosted by ICA of Texas. And uh, yeah, we're heading out to do our, our uh, a bit of a producer tour this week. We'll be in Victoria uh, today and, and uh, Lockhart uh, on Saturday. So if you're in the Texas area, Well, shoot, I just don't think we are going to have much luck here with Leah. It does seem like we are having a lot of issues there. Leah, if you're still tuning in, we'll give you a call. We'll get you set up. We'll have this conversation because we are seeing lots develop in the world of the beef sector. And of course, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association will be having their annual meeting later on in November. We'll be sure to get Leah on. If she calls back in, we'll be sure to, to jump and discuss what's going on there in the industry. But I do have some other headlines that I think we ought to talk about, certainly some factors and some issues that are impacting agriculture. We speak almost every day with a market expert on this show who talks about national and international money flow and how it's changing investments in commodities as these global players look to find the best possible return for their dollars. Well, we're seeing that continue to change and a lot of things that have been fairly stable for 20 plus years are starting to adjust. Yeah. Notably from the consumer's perspective, we're seeing that fixed rate mortgage rate continue to climb. And in fact, yesterday, nationwide average for a 30 year fixed rate mortgage hit 7%. Folks, that's the highest we have seen at that level since 2001. So we are seeing folks who are looking for a home have to pay a little bit more, and that could change the consumer's buying habits as we get through the remainder of this year. Well, Leah Biondo is back on. We're going to give it one more shot. Leah, while we got you, let's talk about what you're hearing from producers down there in Texas. Oh, no, I was too optimistic. I spoke too soon. Well, Leah, I apologize. We hope you have a safe trip down there in Texas. We'll touch base about getting you on, and we will talk through what's coming for the U.S. Cattlemen's Association and what to expect as we go out down the line. I do want to let you folks know, if you're interested in the annual meeting for the USCA, it is going to be happening in Nashville, December 8th, 9th, and 10th. You can log on to their website at uscattlemen.org to check that out and learn more about what's under discussion there with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. We do have some other news that we have been watching. Oh, well, we've got some, some stories here out of Europe. We've been talking quite a bit. Our good friend Josh Linville, the director of fertilizer with Stonex, has been tracking European natural gas production and consumption. This matters, of course, to American agriculturalists because Europe has a lot of anhydrous fertilizer production and all of that anhydrous, or I should say a lot of the anhydrous or the natural gas used to create that anhydrous was coming from Russia. So as of right now, as we look ahead to the winter, there is a consensus developing in the international market that Europe is going to have enough gas supplies to get through this winter. Now, last time we spoke with, uh, with Mr. Linville here two or three weeks ago, he was aware that that's the case, but this accounting of European gas reserves rather does not include enough to run those fertilizer plants. Effectively, the EU has them zeroed out in natural gas production over consumption, rather, over this next year, which means that they are not anticipating fertilizer production to come back 
here in the short term. Now, in the immediate short term, there is a bit of a glut of natural gas in Europe. They have stockpiled as much as they can. So perhaps we'll see prices moderate, which might give those uh, those efforts or those governments the ability to rein things back in. But for now, there is concern over there in Europe. We talked just briefly yesterday about the cold storage report that was released earlier this week. And this comes from the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. And, well, the headline numbers were bearish for the livestock industry. Total pounds of beef in freezers were up 2% from last month. And remember, this is September, so we're looking back to August. The bearish news was 19% higher in beef in cold storage than we were a year ago. A lot of anticipation for tight cattle supply has resulted in retailers and wholesaling beef, and they're putting it in cold storage, which means that we do have ample supplies for the short term for that U.S. beef. Boneless beef inventory was sitting at 470 million pounds. That's 16.3% higher than a year ago. And this was the highest September inventory for beef since 2016. We also saw total frozen poultry supplies come up slightly. Now, that is a bit of a shock to me. I think market watchers were more prepared. That poultry industry, of course, is a fairly closed loop. And a lot of that information stays internal to those companies until they are required to publish it. But we have been reading so much about HPAI and the impact that has had on the poultry industry nationwide. I was surprised to hear that stockpiles and cold storage for U.S. poultry are still up. They're up slightly, less than a percent from August. But the big news is they were up 10% from a year ago, from August 2021. Total stocks of chicken were up 5% from the previous month and 18% higher than a year ago. And as a reminder, HPAI has certainly hit all types of poultry production, but the impact primarily has been on laying operations. So we're seeing egg prices respond and on turkey operations. So we've seen turkey prices continue to explode. Notably for chicken breast, we had a capacity of 30% higher than a year ago and 191 million pounds nationwide. I mentioned the challenges that the turkey industry has seen with HPAI and that on this, uh, this month's report, total pounds in freezers of frozen uh, turkey down 9% from last month and down 5% from September of 2021. These issues are going to be with us for some time. We are not going to see a lot of enthusiasm here uh, develop in the short term for beef and pork and poultry at the wholesale level, given the fact that we do have such ample supplies out there in the world. Looking out at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We always like to talk with those folks and hear how progress is going, getting U.S. protein sold across the ocean. And they had an announcement that they are going to be honoring Ambassador Robert Lighthizer. Of course, that's a name familiar to a lot of us. He was the head of the U.S., or he was, I suppose, the U.S. Trade Representative under President Donald Trump. And the USMEF has decided they are going to award him the Michael J. Mansfield Award. And uh, they are going to hand this out in November. They did say that Lighthizer's work spearheading key trade agreements, expanding opportunities for U.S. red meat. They celebrated especially the phase one economic and trade agreement with China. Of course, that was the op the, the issue that took up most of Mr. Lighthizer's time in office. Uh, we also had the renegotiation of the U.S.-Japan trade agreement and chorus, the rewriting or the refreshing, I should say, of the Korea-U.S. free trade agreement. So in light of all of that hard work and no doubt in light of the fact that we do not have a chief ag negotiator in yet at the U.S. Trade Representative's office so far, I think this might help highlight the importance of that role and why it matters here for agriculture. Taking a look at some of the other issues impacting the world of ag, we continue to see inflation risks scaring investors. We'll be talking about that a little bit later with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. We're going to discuss how that inflation scare is moving money around in the marketplace. Folks, stay with us here for more AOA. And if you're curious about that U.S. Cattlemen's annual meeting, visit uscattlemen.org. Get on there and check out, see if you can make it. Folks, thanks for listening. We'll be back with Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk here in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss. 
is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seat has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go! Almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Joining us for this next segment is Garrett Toy. He's the author of Ag Trader Talk, Market Watcher, and Expert Extraordinaire. Garrett, taking a look at the markets today, what are you seeing? What's going on in the world of soybeans that's driving them higher today? Oh, shoot. It looks like we've lost Garrett, folks. I apologize. I apologize. We're going to work to get him back on the line here in just a moment. I might be having some technical difficulties today, but we do have some other news. I mentioned here the challenge seen with HPAI, that high path avian influenza, and folks, those outbreaks continue to get reported. In this past week alone, USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, that's APHIS, for those of you who are used to hearing acronyms, reported 15 different outbreaks. And this involved more than 256,000 birds in 17 different U.S. states. One of the more recent additions was Rhode Island. Uh, there was an outbreak there late last week affecting 40 different animal rescue birds in Newport County. Remember, HPAI isn't selective. It's going after commercial operations. It's backyard flocks. We're finding it everywhere. And there was an interesting study recently released by the U.S. Geological Survey. They accidentally were able to track a bird that had HPAI infection. They were able to watch how it flew. And what they noticed was that this bird that was infected, they didn't realize it was infected. It was a rescue bird. They pulled a swab to run the test. The bird wasn't sick, so they let it go. Then a week later, the test came back, and oh my goodness, it has HPAI, but it also had a tracker. So they were able to follow it as it moved across the country and they noticed it was traveling less distance. It was clearly more tired. And hopefully this is going to shape the way the research around HPAI spreading is done. Now, I do believe we have Garrett back on the line here. So let's see Garrett Toy taking a look at the soybean market. What's happening in there today? Well, folks, I apologize. I don't know what's going on. We're going to get to the bottom of this. In the meantime, though, we do have some other information here in the world of agriculture. Of course, we're going to talk with Garrett about what's happening in the futures markets. And for those of you in the world of agriculture over the past year, you've noticed that prices have maybe been a little volatile in the futures market. And one of the standard lines we hear is that volatility creates opportunity. And if you're a commodities trader or an equities trader or a bonds trader, anytime we're seeing prices move in volatile ways, that's the opportunity to capture some profits, right? Buy low, sell high, that's the name of the game. So when that opportunity is there, we see lots of folks rush into the future space and that was confirmed at a third quarter earnings and profit reports from the CME Group. Chicago Mercantile Exchange, of course, is the organization that owns both the CME, where we see a lot of livestock futures traded, and the Chicago Board of Trade, in addition to some options and, and other futures trading platforms around the world. Those are the two big ones that we care about from agriculture. And what they said is that volatility in the global markets and high inflation, aggressive rate hikes, and recession fears all worked to drive trading volumes higher. CME shares earlier today rose 31, excuse me, nearly a third of a percent to trade at 176.35 shortly after the results were released. And it was a big time earnings beat for CMA. They said this came from a combination of modestly higher than expected revenues, but importantly, lower than anticipated expenses. The demand for hedging tools continues to soar as all of the volatility out there is changing the way end users are working here in the ag industry to try and get some things done. We'll continue to watch what's happening there, but well, I talked in the last segment about U.S. have mortgage rates rising up to 7%, the highest rate that we've seen since 2001. Well, since we've been talking here on the episode, a new survey came out and... Well, not shockingly, it shows that purchases of new single-family homes fell 10.9% last month, nearly 11% decline in sales of new U.S. homes in September. This continues a, a downtrend that we have been seeing since uh, August, and 
Economists believe that we are going to continue to see a slide in housing demand. Could be good news if you've been looking to buy a house in town and these elevated prices have maybe kept it out of the market. And it might also be good news if you're watching the expanse of urban development and housing construction taking place on rural lands. Seven, eight percent interest rates are certainly going to slow that down, we would assume. We've got some other legal stories developing in the world of agriculture. If we think back several years, there was a spate of undercover, quote unquote, investigations of animal rights activists pretending to be ag employees, getting hired by farm operations, and then videoing things they deemed unacceptable and sharing them on Facebook. Well, this caused ag industries around the country to come together and create laws to protect those operations, protect those businesses. And these laws oftentimes came to be called ag-gag laws. The idea that if you, if you put forth false pretenses in order to get hired, it could create some penalty enhancements when you share that information on social media. Well, these laws have had a tough time making a stand, and in fact, the Iowa version of the ag-gag law was just deemed unconstitutional here about two weeks ago, and that's the fourth time the courts have struck down that ag-gag law in Iowa. There have been a few other states that have been able to get them written, and they have been able to stay on the books, but overall, it sounds like these, dis these laws are going to continue to face a tough headwind. The plaintiffs also filed, filed a motion for summary judgment in this case, and um, they do say that the Iowa, Iowa ag-gag law is overbroad, and the courts came to agree with them on that case. So the Iowa version, if there is going new law, it will have to be rewritten. They'll have to incorporate the concerns put forward by the Iowa Supreme Court. But these ag-gag laws are continuing to still have a hard time, I suppose, being taken seriously or being allowed to stand in the states where they have so far been written. Taking a look at the markets today, we've got soybeans up eight to nine cents, corn flat to slightly lower, and we've got the wheat market trading relatively stable today, unchanged to a penny lower across the board. Folks, tune in to talking about the changing face of the American ag drone industry now that DJI has been blacklisted by the U.S. government. We're also going to talk with Naomi Bloom, market analyst, and we'll check in on Bushel and what's coming with digital payments in the ag space. It'll be a great discussion, folks. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at adspipe.com.